Hey, let's thank Ben again for leading us in worship. Thanks, man. If the last name sounds familiar, you saw his brother here exactly a month ago. That was Ian, his brother. Same guy, same family. So, and I think there's like 10 more of them that do all sorts, <laughs> that do all sorts of other things too. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but we love it. We are so grateful. Thanks, Ben, for coming. Let me pray again real quick. Let me just, as we go into God's word, thanks God for your word this morning. May it be um, something that teaches us this morning, but your Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. The words of my mouth, God, uh, would be the words that you give me in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we close, come close to the end of our study in the book of First Peter. We have two more left. I know it feels like it's been a year, but it's not. We have two more left, uh, two more sermons after this. And really, I hope that you have found this book, this letter that was written over 2,000 years ago as inspiring and, and challenging as I have, because it really has been great for me to be able to spend many, many hours um, studying it. There's no way that it can't impact me, and it really has. Um, so in studying this book, we've talked a lot about suffering or opposition that may we may face for living our lives as followers of Jesus. And the truth is, though, that most of us probably don't feel like we face much opposition or suffering for our faith, do we? Especially if we look at it in the eyes of, we talked about earlier, what the church that was going through, what they were going through that Peter wrote to, really our suffering uh, really can't compare. Um, although some of us here have or may suffer severely for our faith, the chances are that most of us will at least in some small way suffer in a way that would cause us to be tempted to either back away or throttle back on our living for Christ and living out our Christian faith. And it may be friends that mock us because of what we believe, or family members that just don't understand what's going on with us, or it might be having to make a decision, a decision that really honors God and honors the Lord, but it puts our reputation uh, maybe our social standing or even our financial situation at risk. Sometimes suffering comes as a result of a person deciding to turn every area of their life over to the Lord and discontinue a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's a habit or an addiction or whatever it might be, and the battle really rages in that temptation that is constantly lurking after them, constantly wanting to give in. Well, Peter's message has been that, yes, you will at times face opposition, possibly for suffering for your faith, but don't let that opposition or that suffering cause you to back down or to throttle back from pursuing living a life that truly honors the Lord. If anything, it should be a catalyst for inspiring you to press forward in your desire to be more like Jesus. But after all that, though, we I really talk about the question really begs to be answered is, how do we maintain that kind of mindset in the midst of opposition and suffering? It's easy for us to talk about, we're in church, let's talk about how to handle suffering. We all go, ah, yeah, amen, I can do that. But what about when we're in the midst of it? How do we have that mindset so that we don't not just remain faithful to what we believe, but will be actually inspired to grow, inspired to move forward in our trust and in our faith in God. In God. 
Well, really, that's the theme this morning in this morning's passage. This morning, Peter is going to help us with three things. He's going to help us have the proper perspective on the trials that we face. He's going to help us see results of our trials. And he's going to help us to understand what our perspective should be to these trials that we face due to being followers of Jesus. Now, there's going to be a lot of content, okay? A lot of stuff that I'm going to be saying this morning. We're going to talk a lot about these verses. But my hope is at the very end to really condense this down really into one simple statement, okay? So all this stuff, you're probably going to go, how is he going to take, in about 15 minutes, you're going to go, how is he going to get that into one statement? We're going to get there, okay? So just be patient. If you take notes, which I encourage you to do, actually, I would encourage you to have your own little binder or your own little book or something, because if you're a note taker that you bring, so you don't have to have like the pages, we offer paper, but it's always good to have a thing to take uh, notes in. So today, this morning, we're going to be looking at First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, okay? And we're going to look, what we're going to do is we're going to look first at what Peter says our perspective on suffering should be when we face trials. And this is in those first four verses here. We're going to go through these one at a time to kind of see, because he says a lot in all this. So let's, let's start by looking at verse 12, where Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter starts this section by telling his readers, whom he starts off by telling him they are, need to understand that they're dearly, dearly loved. So he says to them, though, those of you that I dearly love, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as if something strange or unusual were happening to you when you face trials due to living out your, your commitment to Christ, to following Christ. I mean, this really goes against the way we think, doesn't it? I mean, if anything, we're usually surprised when we suffer for our, our faith, as if it was something that, oh my gosh, this isn't supposed to happen. You're finding yourself doing that. Why is this happening to me? Well, this mindset really is counter to the calling of following Jesus. Remember that Jesus said to do what? To take up our cross daily and to follow him. What that literally means is to be willing to die to ourselves in order to follow Jesus. I mean, back, we don't have a very good picture of it now, but back in the first century, the cross was an instrument of death and humiliation. And that's what he's telling us to take up. Let me put it this way. Being willing to take up our cross means that we are willing to follow Jesus, even if it means losing some friends, being alienated from family members, losing our reputation, our job, and even our very life. The reality is that there is a good chance that you and I will experience trials for living as committed followers of Jesus. Actually, we should expect it. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. You should expect it's going to happen. Remember Jesus' words in John 15 when he said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world that I said, the words that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they 
got mad at that. That's going to happen to you also. We don't really face a lot of hurt. Now, we kind of live in this somewhat Christian society. But you'll find that when you live out your Christian faith to the T, you're going to come up against some opposition. might not be facing death, but there is going to be some sort of suffering because Jesus, he said, if, you're, if I suffered, you will too. We don't like hearing this stuff, though. It's hard, isn't it? Now, Peter tells us that these trials, though, have a purpose. Trials in our life that we face because we're followers of Jesus have a purpose, and they are to test us. Okay? This kind of harkens back to earlier in this series, remember? Back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where Peter said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that that gold that that precious that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ what trials are what they really essentially are are things that can cause us to give in to give in to the culture around us to doubt God's goodness to doubt whether he's really going to be is for us, to, and really to abandon our faith altogether. We were praying this this morning at our nine o'clock prayer time. We prayed that we remembered that God, that the devil's like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. He's looking to devour us, and if that devouring just means us to back off from our faith and just be lukewarm, kind of, and not effective, and not experiencing joy and all that, they got it. Cool, he'll take it. He'll totally take it. God permits trials. God permits trials in our lives in order that our faith in his goodness and in his sovereignty, remember we talked about sovereignty means he's got it all in control. Nothing gets past him. He doesn't blink and go, oops, never happens. This is to refine, he wants to refine these things in us, refine our faith in him, refine our trust in him. Our faith becomes more and more genuine as the fires of trials burn away all that is keeping us from being what God desires us to be. And it's because he loves us. Not because I'm going to make you this robot, doggone it. No, he loves us. So if we're experiencing a fiery trial, it's for a reason. It's to help us to grow and trust in him. I use this quote near the beginning of our series but I, I feel like I really needed to use it again. Elizabeth Elliot, who said this, Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into process. Great words. It's all right. So now in, in verse 13, Peter goes on to give us a second way that we are to look at our trials that come out of living due to living out our faith. He says this, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter's telling us here that we are to rejoice in participating in Christ's 
suffering. So not only are we to not be surprised, he first says, don't be shocked, don't be surprised when you experience this, but also then rejoice in it. He's taking it even further. I know many times during this thing, as my, during my studies of this thing, this book, many times I've gone, okay, you're pushing it, Peter. And he's doing that here. He's pushing us. He's pushing us forward in a good way. It's this, this rejoicing he's talking about comes from participating in identifying with our Savior in the deepest way that we possibly can. And it's, it's to become more and more like Jesus. Remember, the goal of the Christian life isn't to get through life with the least amount of struggles as possible. That's kind of the American way, isn't it? It really is. We got to comfort. I mean, comfort is a God. I know it. I strive for it a lot. We struggle with that. But that's not what the Christian life is about. It's to become more and more like Jesus. And here's the truth. Here's the hard truth. The truth that his entire ministry, Jesus' entire ministry was marked by these things. Misunderstanding, opposition, betrayal, and even death. And this is the person we are to become more like. No wonder the world knows you're nuts. But they don't get how incredible it is, how freeing it is. And speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus had to learn obedience by suffering. It means that his suffering on the cross was the ultimate example of his obedience to his father. You see, to be like Jesus means to learn to be obedient through suffering. Because it's through suffering that we truly learn to trust and obey our Heavenly Father. Third thing, this is Peter says this, is why rejoice. Wait, I was going to say, first thing, this is really why he says to rejoice in trials of suffering. Because that. actually, before I go to the, third, the next thing, there's this great story. Um, if you look in chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, you can look later, chapter 5 of the book of Acts, where one day Peter and his apostles are out and they're doing all these miracles. They're like healing all these people, they're doing all these great things, and all of a sudden, totally out of jealousy, the high priest has them arrested and put into jail. Well, during the night, an angel of the Lord comes and opens the prison, says, get out there, go talk to, don't talk, go talk to people about Jesus. Well, the next morning, the High priest orders that the apostles be brought back and put before the council so they can uh, judge them. So the officers go to go get them, and they're not there. The doors are locked. Guards are standing there, but no apostles. As they're wondering where they might be, someone actually goes, look, oh, there they are. They're out teaching. They're over in the temple, and they're teaching. So they go get him again, and they go get him, and they bring him before the council, and the high priest says, hey, didn't we tell you to stop teaching about this Jesus? I love Peter's words. He says, we must obey God rather than man, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead who you killed. I think that made them a little upset. Darn right it did. Needless to say, it made them very upset. And actually, it says in the passage that they wanted to actually kill them right then and there. But one of the council members stands up and asks, you know, he says, hey, let's get these guys outside. We need, we need to talk privately, okay? Before we, before we do something a little hasty, let's get them outside. So they get them outside, and the, and the guy goes, okay, wait a second. A lot of people have come and gone. 
Okay, a lot of people have come and gone saying that there's somebody important and that something great is going to happen. Nothing came of it. Nothing. So if this is what the case is here, we don't have nothing to worry about. But if it turns out that this Jesus really was somebody, we're actually going to be fighting against God. Kind of calms them down a little bit. The temperature of the room goes down. All right, bring them back in. So they bring them in. Talk to him really harshly, and then it says they beat him. They just totally beat on him. I think we glance over that a lot of times to say, oh, they said so, they told him not to do anything anymore, and then they beat him and they let him go. It's not like they went, stop it. They beat these guys. Probably beat them to a pulp, and they said, don't do it anymore. And I love how this story ends. It says this in Acts. He says, then they left the presence of the council, check this out, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus, that Christ is Jesus. I love that. Isn't that amazing? Not only were they rejoicing because they were able to participate in Christ's suffering, but that suffering actually motivated them to get out there and go more. And preach more. I mean, they just had a, I mean, they just got beat. And they had a skip in their step and a skip in their stride. And they said, okay, yeah, now we're going to go door to door. I mean, they were just, it's like, it just added fuel to the fire, didn't it? And they didn't do it because, okay, see, they were excited. It's kind of like they're, I bet they're kind of feeling like, this is kind of what Jesus went through. And that's who we want to be like. Yes. What an amazing mindset that. That is so Amazing. I don't think, because I don't think many people would have blamed them for deciding, hey, let's lay low a little bit, okay, guys? Let's lay low for a while. That, uh, I'm, I'm kind of hurting, okay? Let's heal up a little bit and then we'll go out. But no, not at all. They were so excited about sharing in his suffering, they had to get back out there. And at the end of that verse, Peter tells us that our trials will actually be a part of what will cause us to rejoice at Jesus' return, when we see him in his glory. And this is probably what they were, they were thinking in their mindset too. This is all going to culminate when we see it to see Jesus. Peter saying, when we see Jesus, not only are we going to be so excited we see him, we're going to all of a sudden go, oh my gosh, here you are. I've suffered for you and it was awesome. Come on. You know, it's going to add to the excitement of the whole thing. It really is cool. Well, Peter goes on in verse 14 to give us a third way that we are to look at trials that might come into our lives due to living our lives as committed followers of Jesus. He says this, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He says here that being insulted for the sake of Christ is a blessing. Be blessed literally means to be happy because we are the object of God's favor. Happy because we're the object of God's favor. Matthew 5 says this, Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we're only going to rejoice or be happy, enjoy the happiness in the future, like in heaven when, when Jesus comes. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is yours. You know when the kingdom of heaven is? Now. The kingdom of heaven is right now. It's God's reign and rule in the hearts of all believers today. We experience his kingdom now. Remember Jesus even said to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because he knows that we can experience his kingdom now. What Peter is telling us that it's because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are able to find the strength and the resolve to suffer rather than compromise in our faith. It's experiencing this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that causes us to be blessed and to be happy. Boy, that's those counterculture, doesn't it, to the world? Sometimes, though, we suffer because we've done the wrong thing. Sometimes we've, it's because of our own sin. Which leads to our fourth point here that he says is, why, is the way that we should look at our trials. He says in verse 15 and 16, he says, But let no one, none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in that name. Peter says that here, if you're going to face trials due to persecution uh, any, or anything that you, what happens to you, make sure that it's for following in the footsteps of Jesus and not for doing wrong. Okay, make sure that's the reason. When we experience trials, it should be not because we blew our temper or because we gave someone some bad attitude or we are totally intolerant, or I love the word he says in here, uh, a meddler. You know what that literally means? A busybody. I got to know what's going on. I got to tell people. I got to talk to people. It's amazing he puts that all in the same category, huh? A murderer and a busybody. I love that because the world likes to tell us that, oh, God measures sin. It doesn't. There are different consequences, yes, for sure. But being a busybody could just ruin so many people's lives. And bring so much, oh, so much on them. Drama, drama, drama. He's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. It should be because we are being faithful and obedient to Jesus. He says, they're whom we claim to be a follower of that name. We, we, are, we say you're a Christian. You're bearing that name. He says, be faithful to that. Well, now in these next two verses, Peter shows us the results. Okay, now it's the results of the trials that we face due to the opposition to living out our lives as committed followers of Jesus. He says in verse 17 and 18, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the God ungodly and the sinner? Wow, this is a Interesting, interesting verse. Well, the reality is the Bible teaches us that humanity will, everybody will be judged one day. There will be a, judge, a day of judgments. Romans 14.10 says, for we will stand before the judgment seat of God. If you want more detail of that, you can look in Romans chapter 20. talks even more about the details of that judgment time. What Peter's saying here is that the fiery trials that we face in the form of opposition is part of God's overall plan for judgment and judging humanity. 
You see, one of the, one of the results that we face is that it shows who are true followers of Jesus. It shows who the true followers of Jesus actually are. Those who prepare, is it those who are prepared to stand firm in their faith when, they, when the struggles come, or are they going to run away and don't really believe? You know, say, oh, wait a second, I, I, I believe, but not that far, not, not that much. So it helps, it kind of weeds people out. The truth is that not all people that claim to be followers of Jesus really are followers of Jesus. Ever experienced that before? Not in a judging, yeah, never, not in a judging kind of way, but of course, it's popular in America in many ways to say I'm a Christian. That's fine. It's not that big of a deal. But because, just because someone's prayed a prayer, that does not mean that they are a follower of Jesus. Jesus himself, and even Matthew chapter 7 said, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my heavenly Father. Jesus says that we will know if someone is truly a follower even for yourself, you're like, am I really, am I really a Christian? Or someone wants to know, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. He says, a true, we will know true followers by the fruit that they bear, not just by how they talk. Okay, that's easy. Just talking and saying the right words, especially if you've been in church for many years, that's super easy. But how they live their life, not, not perfect at all, but by the fruit that they bear. And we know some of the fruit of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are those things, are we growing in those things? What this means is that these are people that hold in their heart, their hold their, what is held in their heart, what they deeply hold close to their heart is going to be demonstrated by their actions. Because the truth is that being a true follower of Jesus is difficult. It really is. People, oh, it's a crutch. Way way more difficult to be a follower of Jesus. It's swimming against this current of what the culture says is okay and having different values than the whole rest of the culture and and things and having ways that pull us in our sin nature that constantly is pulling on us, that roaring lion is constantly trying to get us to fall, to back off or just be lukewarm and be ineffective and not experience joy. That's a battle. That's a battle that rages this morning. The moment you wake up in the morning, the battle is raging. I know, because I feel it. I definitely feel that battle. That's why another result of trials is that they strengthen and they purify our faith. Peter's saying that if life now is difficult for the follower of Jesus who faces judgment in the form of fiery trials, how much worse will it be for those who do not truly follow Jesus. He says, what will become of them? What about them? If it's hard to be a Christian, if that's hard, what about the people that don't, don't want anything to do with it? Well, we're assured that as true followers of Jesus, at the time of this final judgment, God will not punish us because, he's, because Jesus was punished and he suffered in our place. We have that confidence. 
But what about those who refuse God's offer? What about those who refuse his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ? The Bible is very clear about this, and this is not popular to say. The Bible tells us that the result of refusing God's offer of salvation through Jesus is eternal separation from God and hell. I just lost a few of you because it's the truth. Now, without getting all hellfire and brimstone and damnation on you all here, the Bible tells us that there is a hell and describes it in terms like eternal fire, outer darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. It's a place that's reserved for those who refuse God's gift. Now, many find, many people, you're going to run into this, many people find it very, and I totally get this, find it extremely difficult to believe, okay, you've got a loving God. Why would a loving God allow anybody to go to hell? Good question. I ran to John Piper. And here's what he says. This is a guy that I really respect. And as I was looking around and studying, he had a really good response to this question. He says, the reason hell is so terrible is because God is so great that despising him is so evil that it deserves this terrible punishment. In other words, the horror of hell is a signpost concerning the infinite worth and preciousness and beauty and goodness and justice of God. If he were small, if God were small, hell would be lukewarm. But because he's great, scorning God is a horrible thing. Good words. What great motivation that this is to be willing to, and for us to be willing to endure whatever it takes, whatever people might think of us. What a great motivation is to endure any opposition that we might, we might face in order to help people come to know our Savior. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and tell them, you're going to hell. That's not going to work, okay? Guarantee you that's not going to work. It's because God is so big, so great, so loving. Denying that is so huge. Gosh, we need to tell people. We need to live out our, what a great motivation to be willing to suffer trials and whatever people would say. Because we don't want people to experience that. Well, lastly, Peter tells us what our response should be to trials that we face due to living out our faith in Jesus. Last verse, he says in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In this verse, Peter tells us that when we are experiencing a fiery trial, we're to do two things. First, we are to entrust ourselves to whom Peter calls a faithful creator. When he says that what, we, what, he, what he is saying is that we can entrust our entire being, we can entrust everything to the creator and the sustainer of all of life who will never let us down, never, always be there. This, once again, harkens back to chapter 2, what we saw really is where he was talking about some of the same stuff. In chapter 2, he said, For to this you have been called, because Christ also, also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he's reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You and I can trust that God is for us. We know that God is for us, and he will always, always be in complete control, even when we don't understand what's going on. He's always in control. Second thing we're to do is to continue to do good. Continue to do good. What this means is to continue to live out our faith in Christ by pursuing holiness, by serving and loving one another, and shining that light of Christ in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. What Peter is admonishing, admonishing us, you guys, to do, and what he's exhorting us to do is here, do here is to not let the trials that we face deter us from living the life that God has called us to live, but to actually see them as a part of the life that God has called us to. Doesn't this go so counter to where we live? To see them as this is how I want you to live. So, how do we live? How do we, in the midst of trials, not only remain faithful to Christ, but how do we keep pressing forward in our desire to be more like Jesus? Well, I told you I would do my best to boil this whole thing down for us into one statement, and here's what I came up with. We need to begin to see trials as vital opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness and in trusting in God. Let me say that again. We need to begin to see trials, this opposition that we face, as vital opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness and in trusting God. Remember that the next time you share your faith or you live out your faith and you want someone so desperately to understand, and they don't. That's a, you've been given a beautiful opportunity to grow. And when we do this, we begin to see things in a whole new perspective. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you that you are for us, that you love us, that in the midst of trials and difficulty, you are there. And we're so grateful that for that, God. As we move into communion now, Father, God, I pray that as we reflect on what the sacrifice that your son made for us, so that when that day of judgment does come, we don't have to worry at all. You sent your son to take the punishment for us. Wow, what a great gift. We're so grateful and thankful. So we're thankful for this opportunity to remember you, remember what you did for us, Jesus. Your name we pray. Amen. We're going to uh, move into the time of communion now. And what I want you to do as we do this, this is for communion, just so, just a recap, Must you know this, but communion is a time for those that call themselves, deaf, I am a follower. Like we just talked about, I am a true follower of Christ. What Jesus told us to do was, okay, if that's who you really are, remember, just like we're told in these verses we just looked at, suffering. Look at me. Look at it's. I can't say this enough. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
we're going through stuff, but we don't understand, let's look to Jesus. That's what the communion table is about. Looking to Jesus. Remembering that even though you don't understand what's going on in your life, or life is hard, he knows what you're going through and chose you to be his child and wants people, more people to know him. So I want to encourage you as the ushers come forward, we're going to take this morning's communion. What we're going to do is we're going to pass first the bread. Just take the little cracker. I want to encourage you, put it on your knee or just hold on to it and just take a little bit of time to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made so that in the time of judgment and even now, we don't have to worry about being judged by God. He loves us.